I didn't expect you would say three and more. <laughs> well, I think that this is how how um, people in the English speaking world they how they launch things. They well, at least in in I think in in NASA movies they do it like this. They they say on my mark and then they say mark. I don't know what, why I said one, two, three before saying mark, but this is how it happened. I, I would go for something like ready, steady, go instead. Yep, that, that that could also work, but I think on on my mark is kind of more scientifically approved. No? I think it's a cross cultural trick here because when I heard three, like for the previous yeah, two hundred something definitely, episodes, definitely, definitely. When when I said three, I, I realized my mistake. I should have said one, two, mark, or something like that. That would be would, would have worked better. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> It's still episode number seven, and it's the book club of Biweekly, season two. Right. And here we are. The you are the still here. Yeah, that's me, and you are Slava Rudnitsky. Today we are going to talk about the book by Peter Guber, Tell to Win. But before that, there is a follow-up. It's a little bit of a follow-up, right? In, in the last episode, we discussed the structured decision-making, and I and my family, we had a chance to practice that a little bit, where we were making a final decision for, for school for, for our daughter, and there were two, two very close contenders, and we tried different methods to decide between them. And one of those was quote-unquote structured decision uh, making where we try to come up with the criteria and assign marks to that but because of the, the schools were very very close that that kind of approach didn't work too well because on the most important things there were differences between the schools but then the outcome would depend on how how we assign values to those criteria and different people in even in our family could have assigned them differently and then we tried to come up with more criteria they all felt like superfluous and largely meaningless things to um to influence the 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 outcome so it was uh, it was a difficult decision, but the great thing was that we were choosing between two great options so that there was no wrong choice in a sense. So we finally decided on something, but uh, just to, to know that this um, quote-unquote scientific uh, decision-making was not exactly helpful in that situation. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And I think that it's a difficult choice. Which school did you pick, by the way? We went to Latimer Upper School in the end. Is it far? Is it cool? Uh, it is far and it is cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually uh, related issues. <laughs> the farther, the better. Well, yeah, I, I guess in the, the way how geography of London works, it with our location, yeah, that's <laughs> the further, the cooler. Um, apart from the follow-up, there is something that is named MISC. Right. I, I don't know, like, you, you put this in the nose, I didn't know what it meant, but I put an item there anyway. And I guess we were, we are going to talk about the book Tell to Win by Peter Gober. And as you know, I rarely read books, I listen to them with, with Audible. And this time around, I, I listened to the book on Audible, and then I decided to maybe re-listen some of the parts that I was more interested in or something like that before before the episode. And I was super surprised to figure out or to, to realize that the chapters in Audible, they do not match the chapters in the book. So yeah, like I, I clicked like chapter 11, like in, in, in the menu, in the, in the app, and it says, and it started talking, it said, chapter 8 blah 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 and so so i think they they use their own logic for uh for chapters in in audible maybe they try to keep them certain time length or something like that and so there might be the introductions you know this like the word from the author which also counts as a chapter some intro words as chapter definitions and then just part one explained is also a chapter and then chapter one which is already chapter four 
Yeah, that's kind of disappointing. I would have expected that the the app that has been around like for years and years and years could have figured that thing out. Like there are books with rewards, right? There are lots of them. What would it take to have a, like a special chapter name, reward, and have chapters start their numbers from where they they really start in the book? I think you could get suspicious when you saw chapter 11 in a nine chapter book. You all, that, that, that's, the, that's the trick, right? When you're listening to, to an audio book, you do not always realize the chapter structure of the book, or it's not as immediately obvious as with a paper book where it is in the, on the first pages of, of, of the book. So uh, because I never had to go back chapter by chapter in, in audio books, I, I never figured that there is this issue. Right. Speaking of MISC, by the way, that was your doing in our previous book club uh, when we were discussing Pitch Anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, You added this section about life uh, and UK podcasts and schools or schools, podcast usage. Yes. Okay. So I guess, I guess that that was um, kind of a thing where there is a sort of smallish, interesting topic, not directly related to the topic of the episode and because we are structured we wanted to put it <laughs> in some place in in the notes okay i got it anyways let's get down to the book itself and our first traditional question is what's your general impression of the book well my, my general impression is good i i'm 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 glad to have read or have listened to to the book i've got i've picked up at least a couple of great ideas, I think, or like maybe at at this day and age, I think it it often also comes to not necessarily getting a new idea, but maybe reinforcing an idea you already knew so that I I got both of those with, uh, with this book. Uh, What about you? For me, it was disappointing because it felt as if I came back to, my high school or some other place where something seemed really great, nice and structured. And when you come there as an adult, it doesn't look that way at all. And I see all the flaws and like when it was one of the first business books I read, it seemed really great. Now, when I came back to it, I said, ah, maybe it could be done better. And it's not exactly a manual the way I imagined it could be. And that's some disillusion and disappointment well yeah i i know that that feeling i guess maybe for me there was a benefit that i this was the first time i proper properly read this or listened to to this book so uh i say it's at the same time that way so you added that two books seem to be on the same topic or related topics you mean related right. to pitch anything yeah Yes, yes, that, that's what I mean. Like, I guess a, a bit of a prelude to, to the discussion. Like, one of the things I wanted to to get to get out before we dive deeper in into the book itself. I think initially th- that is related to my feelings reading, uh, listening to the book, and thinking about the book and and the uh, discussion that was to follow. Um, is like initially I was slightly disinterested in in the book and i thought that maybe that's because the it's like the same same thing like on the same topic as the previous book and some things felt like they are just reiteration of the ideas or thoughts from from the previous book so and then i thought like, yeah maybe we should <laughs> try to 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 separate books or like to switch switch topics more more often but but then i guess by when I finished the th- like first third of the book, I think that that feeling like went away, and I just just listened to to the book. But then uh, came another thing. I, I realized that I was listening to the book like this time and the previous time as well in the wrong way uh, because I, as I was listening to it, I was thinking about all right, how how we are going to discuss it, what are the points, what are the flaws, what are the good ideas about this, and. That also contributed to, to that feeling, like yeah, that that's like, initial chapters of this book. That, there's like this old news, like <laughs> you already know that. Like, what 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 what's the point? But then I, as 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 the 
narration progressed, I figured, oh, no, that there are some good ideas, that there are some good thoughts, there are some good questions that I can ask myself. And I thought that hmm, maybe next time when I'm listening to the book, I should just first listen to it from the beginning to the end and only then start thinking about how we're going to discuss what are the ideas and maybe get back, go back to, to some parts of the book to pick up on more on some of the points more precisely, but first get the full impression of, of the book before starting thinking about how to discuss it. I could probably add to this the idea that in my experience, reading and listening to this book is very different. It just felt different because I ordered a paperback copy here and it's my fifth paperback copy i got one in russian many years ago then i got one in english didn't finish reading but gave it to someone then it happened again and again so i i, I would always give away these books to people who were somehow interested in storytelling and it always seemed that that's a really nice book to read and when i started listening to audible i realized that it doesn't sound as structured as it is read and uh, that's a trick. Maybe it's something about the narration or about the pages, or uh, it's, it's really hard to say because pitch anything was exactly the same. Like I remember the way I read it, the way I listened to it. Even if somebody draws it, I think it will be pretty much the, the same thing. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree agree with that, uh, and I would at least partially would attribute this to to the narrator or the narration. They they did not articulate the beginning and the end of chapters or the, the structure of the book as well as they probably could have. But yeah, okay. it, it 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 felt like a non like never ending, more or less monotonous ten hours of um of talking. That is true. And probably one of the reasons is that Pitch Anything was narrated by the author. So he knew some sort of intonations and tricks that he wanted to put into the written text, while professional narrators sometimes just focus a lot on pronunciation and making things explicit. Yep, could be. So, uh, shall we discuss the content? Yeah, let's let's do that. Do you want maybe to to give a different overview of of the structure of the book? I think there are basically two parts there. Part one, which builds some premises and grounds, tries explaining what the story is and why it is needed. Mm -hmm. And then part two, starting from chapter five, is related to the preparation, telling the stories themselves and some kind of tricks that you could use in the process. But to me, they are all quite similar and repetitive because some ideas, they overlap from chapter to chapter. And even when I look right now in our notes at this um, takeaways list, they do not always correspond to the chapter itself. So the, the takeaway could be about something else, not what the chapter is about. Yeah. Uh, I felt that the, the first part of the book was ever so slightly more about the structure or the form of the story like who, who can be a hero uh the the three three part of the storytelling where the, there is like a tension and, and resolution in the end but and and the second part was more about finding the content like the substance of the of the story given that you already can put it into the form that conveys the story in the best possible way it does make sense. And uh, I think chapter one is, uh, not chapter one, but part one is also related to um, not just the structure, but the preparation elements as well. So it's how, how you get, how you prepare for the story. Uh, I think there is a little element of uh, psychotherapy there about stories that drive us in some ways. And it's not fully... Uh, uncovered or explored in the book but i think that there were some things that you shouldn't let your background story manage your impressions 
Right. And and by, by, by background story, I think that in this, this author meant what uh, in, in the previous book we referred to as a frame, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, you come to a situation with the frame <laughs> and, 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 and the, the, that, that one was one of the pet peeves of mine with, with this book where the, the author came up with this idea of story and they tried to apply this to every possible thing under the sun, like anything that that's there. He was calling a story, even in, in in some, uh, I think it was in the beginning part of of the book. There was a situation where there was just a kind of a phrase or a message or something like a motto. Someone said to, to someone someone else, like literally three words, and the, he he called this message with three words a story. Like okay, <laughs> like it doesn't make much much sense uh, much sense to me. Mm-hmm. What I really appreciate about the book overall and. The style is that this guy is a practitioner, so he does use this technique on a daily basis. And when you listen to the cases and stories, it might be overrated or somehow exaggerated, but still it's interesting because in the movie industry, uh, Peter had to talk to actors, politicians, business people, and all the stories they tackle. I mean, I can imagine myself trying to pitch something to the president of the football federation or pitching an idea to a board of directors. And these things kind of relate. Unlike pitch anything. In pitch anything, examples were very, very far away from me. I could say, okay, that's U.S. financial investment market. Like that's relevant for people who work there. And I don't think I can apply anything from from that experience. And uh, in stories that Peter was using, I felt much more relatable. Interesting. Do, do, do you think that is because uh, you maybe are more familiar with like Hollywood and like at least maybe not, not as familiar with Hollywood itself, but maybe that style of uh, business, which is somewhat closer, I would say, to, to, the, to the typical business we are used to? Or is it because the uh, author, Peter Guber, does a better job of... Um, coming up with stories that are relatable. I think my understanding of context of movie making and uh, investment is pretty much the same. It's Mm. close to none and I'm not really into either of of the topics. So uh, I would say it's Peter's um, narration style or the logic that he picked because basically every chapter had a few stories and then these aha moments which by the way, have you heard them after I told you? Yes, uh, after after you told me, I, I, I realized that they are there. Prior so to each that, chapter ends with these uh, takeaways from the author. They're named ahas. And uh, it was interesting because I knew they were supposed to be there. At the end of every chapter, I focused on those. And when you didn't know, you just skipped those or they were just right. somehow blended with Right. I think that, that that was definitely fault of of the narration because even before you told me, I noticed that there was like at least once like aha thing, but I I thought that this is was part of the narration, like the story. I did this, I did that, then aha, and this, this, this. Like okay, yeah, I, I didn't realize that this is a summary that uh, concludes each of the chapters in the book. All right, I think we shouldn't get really deep into. The entire aha thing, because mm-hmm. th- there are many of those. Do you think we could pick maybe some? Let's let's start with definitions. And I know I know it's boring, but before we land on something that we name the story, I think we shouldn't come to insights. Right. As far as I understood from notes, you are concerned that the definition of story changes from something structured and explained into everything in life. But can we focus on a definition that we right. choose? I think, I think the, the, the way I would define a story would be similar to how Peter defines it in the beginning of the book, where this is a telling which has, I'm, I'm trying to, frantically trying to remember those three parts and how they were called in, in the book. I think the, the last one was resolution. First was something else uh conflict uh 
conflict, something and and resolution, like like the the normal structure of of any any story, right? That there is the in the beginning there mm-hmm. is so build the up. challenge, the struggle, and there is yes, like I don't know, like <laughs> I was like the struggle is real, you see. Um, so the the challenge, <laughs> struggle, and and resolution. So the story to me would be um, an a narration that has these three elements, maybe with with an additional element of uh, having a hero that goes through all of those three three stages, like like the hero journey thing, which is very common for Hollywood scenarios and other types of stories that this is how i would define a story mm-hmm. and I, I think i could extend this even more into storytelling not just the story itself because mm-hmm. if you look at the storytelling it adds more because it also shows the preparation how you make or shape the story or pick the story then how you start telling the story to get people's attention and mm-hmm. uh, how you narrate and explain things when you try to show the struggle and express mm-hmm. the challenge uh, so it actually people can emphasize to what's happening and a call to action at the end and this call to action to me is very different from what peter is saying because i think that he implies that you should actually explain what the story is or you should wait until people really get it and you see on their faces like mm, so you mean i shouldn't buy this car and I think that stories are powerful because people can actually interpret them in their own ways. That's what you do very well when you perform on stage. You like telling stories without a clear call to action. You just share a case. I remember at uh, points events, you would say like, guys, this is something about cars and phantom traffic jams and just think how it can be used in business by and I, I really like your style. So I, I think that uh, not having a clear call to action, but think, ending things with something thought provocative is a very powerful tool in storytelling. Well, that, that's very, very interesting that you brought up this, this topic of storytelling in relation to, to a story. So I, I think that this is a very, very important, important distinction. And the, the story I would see as an element in this whole storytelling process because to an extent if we if we want to land a message with with the audience we can construct a story to deliver that message which can be like unrelated to the message itself if you know if you know what i'm trying to say like we we can um construct or start with hey this morning i went for coffee and then was like some some something something happened which would create uh, the struggle and attention to which the message we are going to deliver would bring a resolution and would better resonate with with people or they they would be more open to uh, to, to to receive it and th- that's why i think that that's very good that, that you're bringing up this whole process of storytelling in addition to a story in and of itself I think Peter actually focuses on it quite a lot. Like there are many things about uh, igniting empathy, working with attention, mm-hmm. and coming to the combination of something. So I think maybe two thirds of this book are not about stories themselves, but the ways to deliver or explain. Right. They are about the storytelling process. I would definitely, definitely agree with that. Even though it seems like the, the author, all of that, you would just called telling a story, right? Or just being a story, like the backstory, whatever story, this story, that story, which is a bit um, maybe confusing at times. You know, uh, about a week ago, I got a present from our future guest, Yulia, and she gave me the subscription for the Masterclass uh, service. And there are quite a few workshops on storytelling there. I've already saved a few. So I think I will try getting deeper into making stories. But I also remember that you were taking a course on writing and shaping stories in text. Do you think it's different from what Peter is explaining here? Because his focus is mostly business-related, and he tries pushing storytelling as business negotiating Mm -hmm. technique. Uh, Well, as far as I remember, you were doing something like creative writing. Yes, that 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 the course that I took it was 
I'm, I'm not sure if it sounds wrong. It, the, the name of it translated directly would make sense or sound right in English. It was like psychology of words, something uh, along those lines. And indeed, it was focused more on creative writing, but also more on crafting the stories, if you know what I'm t- trying to say. So in a sense, I would see it as a complementary to, 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 to this book where Peter here says that hey, stories are important. You want to wrap your messages in, in stories with the whole storytelling process and the story roughly should have this struggle and, 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 and resolution and conflict. Uh, but that, that course that I took, it would be like how, very specifically, how do we craft the, the story? How do we craft the words and sentences and articulations while telling or more importantly, writing the, the the story such that it has the most impact with with the reader, and and there it was very specifically about writing the stories, not telling them orally, which which is related but but still different. Do you think we could uh, share three insights or ideas that we got from reading? Um, yes. I can start with first, and mm-hmm. maybe you could follow up after that. While I was re-listening and then re-reading the book, I realized why so many case studies that I read are so boring. When people post a case study, they often skip this struggle part. They just say, like, there was an issue and that's the resolution. They basically jump over the procedure of overcoming it and researching it. And when I read all these, like, Deloitte books about... That's how this company built culture of X. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that they skip the round of mistakes in research and analysis and decision-making makes these case studies less interesting. And I normally skim through the text rather than read it uh, fully. And when I read or listen or watch someone's actual case or story at an event, for example, it's much more engaging because people focus a lot on what was happening and how they landed on the solution or resolution. And that made me think that we should reshape the way we use cases in marketing as well. That's what I asked my marketing team to do a few weeks ago, to add more of roadmaps, struggles, and uh, mistakes that were made in the process before we ended on the resolution. Because previously it looked really artificial when you say like, you know, the customer requested this and Mm -hmm. that's what we have done very successfully. Amazing job. Very well done, guys. Right. That's that's a great point. And yes, what I would add add to to that is that the the struggle part, I think, is important in that it helps to show the the additional driving forces or additional constraints on, on the situation. Because if you just have a conflict and then the resolution it's like uh, why exactly is this a resolution to this conflict could it could it have been something else something more simpler faster easier whatever but then the struggle part would show oh there is this thing that that works against the situation there is this thing that works against the situation and and then it, it makes the more coherent story in in the end right so it 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 like builds a bridge between the problem we are trying to solve and the solution we arrive in the end. Yeah, that's a, that's a great, great, great point. I could even give you an example from movie making because that's the thing that always drove me crazy about all those movies where the protagonist get into an accident or gets crashed somehow, then gets an insight, and then they show in this super fast-forwarding way the way he can't walk, he starts walking, he runs, and then he becomes a superstar again, like in 20 seconds. But that's the most interesting part is how he got from ashes and uh, got right. all the things back. Like th- there must have been something difficult there, not just this like four episodes of trading that he just showed. Totally, totally. And and probably the, the struggle part is the, the place in the story Whereas the, there are the most opportunities to to build the relationship with with the audience, so that like give them something they can relate to, and yeah, that that would be important not not to skip that. Whenever I read interviews of 
HR-related people about war, very few of them say that uh, they were not prepared. Like most people say, like we had a perfect plan and the perfect strategy, but then I know the reality that was happening in these teams, and it's not like that. Like there was panic in many, many companies, and even those who expected the war to start in February, they were still not prepared to what was going to happen. And there was a lot of mm, confusion, misunderstanding, miscommunication. But now people kind of mm, try to show what they have done. And they have done a lot of things. Let's say March was much more organized than late February for Ukrainian business. But still, I think that people who can honestly say that, you know, like, I didn't expect what's happening. For three days, I was just out. I just replied to the most urgent messages and that's it it makes it more trustful i think right and i don't remember i think that, that that's a great point and i don't remember whether it was in this book or in the other book that 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 we read the, the idea of kind of being okay with being vulnerable in, in a sense because like in in this part in this telling like we were prepared everything was good like there there is no story right there there is no no struggle but the struggle indeed was real and what people in ukraine did in those tough times like it's it was amazing it it, it is amazing in and of itself but it also makes for for a great story saying that even with all our preparation we faced an enormous challenge of this thing really actually happening in 21st century and then uh, it yeah it, it can be much much more than than that and i think the the stories where the the hero is like the storyteller are i would say a particularly kind of Im- Im- impressive when um, the the storyteller is showing some some sort of vulnerability they they went through they they well when they <laughs> when the when the struggle uh struggle is is real mm-hmm. i think it was one of the juiciest chapters of the books uh, chapter seven it was one of the most packed with techniques and uh, tricks that you could use there mm-hmm. i think it was quite resourceful and vulnerability was one of the uh, elements right, yeah. there I can see and the other insight I got was also from this chapter. It was about the interactions. That's another thing I like about your public speaking. Whenever um, just back in Dnipro you would uh, perform on stage, I remember your TEDx uh, experience and then some Pichakcha, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, done that. It was always a bit different because uh, you would, even if you had very limited amount of time, you would do something with people in the audience. You would not just ask them questions because you're supposed to ask them questions. You would make them think or scratch the back of their head or do something else. That that was always entertaining and intriguing what, what you're going to do in the next pitch. Thanks. I think one, for me, one of the takeaways was um, that the, the idea that, well, stories are important. Of course, we, we, we get that. Uh, but that the story needs a hero and it's just not it's not sufficiently uh interesting or intriguing when you just say as an external let's say an external observer like this happened that happened then this started happening then that started happening and then it all ended in in a good way or in in a bad way it is difficult to relate to those stories and the good idea would be to introduce to to have a hero that goes through that conflict and and struggle and comes to a resolution in the end uh, in in addition to that uh, the the idea in the book that a hero does not necessarily have to be first of all yourself the storyteller it can be like naturally some other person but it can also be something else entirely entirely like a location or an object or something else but it is still important for a story to have a hero and the the arsenal or toolbox of what or who can be a hero is much wider than um, one can think um, initially you know, that's actually curious because that was my insight, but to the opposite. While listening to this part, I thought, oh. like, no way. Like, that's not something I enjoy or I buy. Like, I wouldn't enjoy the story of a location or an object because it's really hard to relate to. Hmm. Well, that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's interesting because I, I can 
can can see situations where I can could could use something like some some sort of inanimate object as a sort of hero to the story, but in when when this object is very relatable to 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 people somehow. Like the Guys, let me introduce you to the bug request or bug report. It's Bob. Mm. No. But maybe, maybe. Uh, I would not introduce a bug report in that way, but uh, probably I, I can see a way of a bug report a hero of a, of a story. I mean, you could, but I can't remember an impactful story that would mm-hmm. tell me a story of a location. Like whenever people tell me stories about, I don't know, castles or office centers or something, it's boring. It's blank, boring, and I can't think of one good example of location mm-hmm. as a hero uh, something because locations don't struggle like there are people who struggle around the locations mm, let's take the movie uh, the field of dreams with kevin costner where he was mm-hmm. supposed to build a stadium in the field mm-hmm. to play baseball mm-hmm. and the location was the center object but there was this kevin costner guy there to show how hard it is and why it's like if you just tell um, we can take as an example from our episode about Pichin, the idea of the airport, uh, this airfield that uh, was the final example or the final case mm-hmm. uh, in the book. And there were no, if there were no people, like there was this guy from the locals who would mm. play you know, something on the field that was then paved into the park. And just the story of the place wouldn't do it like you tell the story of the community that lived in the place or people around it or at least animals like i know that animal stories are very catchy but uh, it's really hard to imagine about something like an object or location you, you know you 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 do you you do have a power of persuasion uh, you, you you got me around <laughs> on, on my thinking about this and and uh, the, the way how i uh, kind of put put those things together would, would be the following i, I would i would uh, agree with you that maybe the the role something like a location could play would be ever so slightly different from a role of a, of, an, of an actual hero and my my construct around that now would be that a hero with with the conflict resolution uh, conflict struggle and resolution the hero would be an element that goes through all of them and kind of links those parts together. But in some situations, it may be that the, the hero, if, if it were a man or, or an animal or something like that, because the story is so lengthy, there could be no one hero that goes through all of that. And their, let's say, location okay, can play a role of this linking element for all of those three parts of the story, but it may not play exactly the the role of the hero. It was it, it is just the hero often plays that linking role, but in some stories it can be that the linking role is played, let's say, by location. But heroes from the conflict to struggle to resolution are entirely, let's say, different different people. But the story is held together by this by this linking element yeah that's yeah, uh, that's a great i think concern. it works for things like novels and like if you think of the series like the game of thrones where they pretty much kill all the heroes you see in the first episodes by yep. the season two yep i think so i think so but what i like about it and i think where people can misinterpret it is using of metaphors i think metaphors are really powerful and you could use metaphoric things about the hero and it could be about object location or whatever, then it works, like as an example to highlight something. But, you know, the question of empathy to objects and locations is still unanswered. Right. right. And, and I think in that respect, that there is indeed a difference, like you mentioned, like that would work for a novel. The, the stories that are told just for entertainment purpose and, and and there is nothing bad with, with those stories of course like in in the movies or in in the uh, fiction fiction books we tell stories just because we like telling stories and then reading and listening to, to the stories but 
uh, in, in a business setting where we tell a story to land a very specific message and hopefully to prompt the some action on the story receiver's part, it may the, the the toolbox may be a bit a bit narrower and something that can work for a story in general may not exactly be um, as, as useful as um, business storytelling instrument. I can even imagine something like I don't know a laptop or a backpack or a pair of some funky shoes uh, being in the center of the story. The story could be about them, but there is always be a person who would do something to make it more emotional. Like just a story of a laptop itself uh, out of context of people just doesn't make much sense. Yep, I agree. Okay. So uh, I'm pretty much done with my insights. What about you? Uh, anything else you would like to add? Well, with, with insights, I really I like the idea of what the... Well, I like the idea. I didn't like the, the name. <laughs> like the, the never-ending story, like the chapters eight and... and Nine, in, in general, the, the idea that when you create a story, well, wait, before we go into that, let, let, let's take a step back and uh, talk maybe a little bit about the difference and then if there is a difference between a story, narrative, and a vision and the valley. Because I, I felt like as I went through the book, what author denoted as story has kind of changed in in the beginning of the book it was more of a like literal story with conflict struggle and resolution but in the end it was starting calling a story as something like a vision if i have a vision and work towards it that that is my story i i, I live through it and then stuff stuff like uh stuff like that did you also notice anything similar you know, I kind of skipped this part. I think that uh, whenever I listen to people who are fully devoted to researching something, they do have a tendency to exaggerate that doesn't mm -hmm. diminish their experience or some cases that they would like to show. But uh, I kind of filter these sort of things. Mm -hmm. uh, just like this psychotherapy uh, therapy part about your backstory that drives mm -hmm. you somewhere. Like, all right, Peter, thank you. You're not the psychotherapist. So let's just get down to storytelling right so and and th this is what got me kind of confused and when, when i started to, to telling my next next insight that i felt weird calling this thing a story because i don't feel exactly this is exactly a story so when, when you create something of value to to the people the, the best thing that could happen to it is that people will take it and start kind of modifying and morphing and building on this thing in their own own way. The author calls that uh, people get to take your story and tell it forward and modify and then add, add to, to this story, which I don't exactly like, like the idea of calling this as a story to me that would be more of a like something like valuable thing or idea that starts a life of, of its own in in let's say in, in my field in software engineering, uh, I often say that the, the really successful piece of software would be the one that is used for the purposes not originally intended by it, its creators. So mm -hmm. this, this, is, this would be a hallmark of success. And, and, and similar, a similar thing uh, Peter told, told us here, that if you come up with a, like a narrative or a vision that can take a life of its own so that people who hear that can relate to it and to, to a certain extent join the the cause this is the hallmark of a success in, in a sense and i i found that that very uh, very powerful and inspiring idea can i suggest a term for this sure uh, would you say a reflection is something that like when, when someone shares an idea and you reflect on this idea and you get something to say about it or to continue or to develop or to disagree. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I, don't, I don't, don't feel like the reflection captures it all, at, at least the way I feel it. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling for, for words to to describe but i think the in the book itself that there was this story about his board of directors right and where he sells this as a this became my story story of my career that kind of promoted success for me where i don't 
see this like a story at all. Like he created something of value that other people saw like, oh, this is a valuable thing. And they started adding, like the board of the directors, the directors that he had in his office would be um, a huge whiteboard with names of different film uh, directors with information about what they're doing, uh, about their uh, track record and, and so on and so forth, which was extremely useful for studios who needed to match the stories to the to directors, to actors and, 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 and whatnot. And so he created a thing of value. People started uh, using it and contributing to it. And this, this makes a kind of good good story to show that hey it, it always helps if you create something valuable that other people can can use and it, it is it becomes even more valuable when people can contribute to but in and of itself let <laughs> see the board of directors as a story uh, as, as i think he portrays that but nonetheless i think that this is very very powerful uh, idea i think it made me remember an event format that we used to run in Dipro 3 p.m. Mm -hmm. uh, because basically it was built by a similar approach. We would make a presentation to ignite some thinking and ideas. Then we would make a case study to get people to work together. And then they were ready to contribute. So they would suggest some topics that they wanted to talk about. And I think that the idea of an unconference, a participant-centered event, is about getting their stories out. And sometimes the storytellers are not people who write the question, but people who come to discuss the question and then they listen for 15 minutes and then they tell the story that actually generates the most value for the group. Great. Great. Um, any other insights from you? You know, I, I wanted to uh, probably forward our discussion into more practical field, like saying right. uh, on day-to-day -day basis, based on what you've read uh, in this book, is there anything that you can retrospectively say you're using in your presentations or uh, meetings or one-to-ones or something along those lines? I think so. I, I, I think I, I do. When, like, the first very straightforward thing would be to kind of follow this story structure in most of the things I used to communicate with, with other people. So even, if, even let's say I'm writing a relatively boring status update about, like, about the, the project, I still try to frame it as a, maybe not story would be an exaggeration because not, not always there would be a conflict struggle and, and, and resolution, but at least in the in narration kind of style so that the, this whole thing can be read as a coherent piece of um, <laughs> literature. Uh, of course, not literature, didn't find the, the, the better word, but in, in, in general, I do try to, to, to capture the audience to have a little bit of this conflict and maybe struggle and, and, and resolution added, added to it. I can give three examples from my side. Maybe they will make you remember something uh, okay. as well. Uh, I definitely use storytelling in sales when I present our company uh, because just naming facts and portfolio items and services is just boring. But telling a short story how we ended up here mm -hmm. and what things we're doing now and why we're doing them is much easier in storytelling format than in anything else. Uh, the other thing is hiring. Uh, when we run some sort of interviews, I really like telling stories about our team, our products, our company. I think it's kind of building more trust. And if I have to interview a person, I would tell a story and listen to a story from this person, which quite often tells me a lot about the experience and the way of thinking and many other things. But third, and probably the most crucial place, because I could sell and hire without stories. Mm -hmm. But the third thing I think would be much more difficult is change management. Let's say I have to close a project. I've done some analytics and I come to the team and if I present just the resolution and mm -hmm. I don't tell them the background, the challenge and the struggle that I went through while making this decision, there will be so much resistance. I failed once uh, trying to 
save people's time and energy and say like, guys, that's for you. Like we're doing it for your sake, but that people didn't buy it. And I realized that what I failed to do there was to tell a story how this decision was made. Like Mm -hmm. what was the trigger? What was the decision-making process and where we ended as a resolution? And I think that this thing could actually make things much more acceptable and clear and transparent. So if you communicate a change, communicate Mm -hmm. in the background and the struggle is crucial. And I think that you can't do it without a story. Yep, no, totally agree. And I think one additional kind of power feature of stories in in this context of change, introducing a change and, and, and change management would be that oftentimes when we introduce a change, it is framed in a generic enough way, right? Because it, it has to cover or solve a whole variety of different cases or situations and help in, in multiple different different forms. And as such, it would be generic if, if delivered very, very directly. And Things that are generic, they feel artificial and people have kind of defense barriers against artificial things and stories can make them more specific. Even if it would be just a story about one very particular aspect of how this change is going to work, then people can still extrapolate that story to to other areas and get a better feel of um, how this is going to work. And if we get back to this structure of the story with uh, probably hero, with uh, uh, conflict, struggle, and and resolution, it kind of forces you to be rather specific. You cannot tell a, a story in super vague and abstract terms. And yeah, I think the stories definitely, definitely help with quote unquote selling the the ideas of of, of change or get get getting people excited about something. I think the final question I have here is more related to learning. Mm-hmm. I just enjoy learning, so why, why yeah. not? Mm-hmm. I've never really learned intentional storytelling. So I read some books, uh, I watched something, I read something, but it was never a skill that I would practice like intentionally. At the same time, I've noticed that I've been getting better. Mm-hmm. Like if, if I imagine myself making a presentation about something 10 years ago and now, I did definitely progress somehow. Mm-hmm. But still, there are people around me that seem talented doing this. So mm-hmm. they kind of, they're born to tell stories. Every Facebook post they write is just mm-hmm. somehow ended up into this dramatic story with challenges and struggling and a very clear call to action. And I wonder whether you believe that it's learnable to the level of an expert. Like I I can understand how I can get better from amateur to not so amateur Mm -hmm. and like not not missing pieces, but it doesn't make me a great storyteller at all. Like I can explain my thoughts. I can give an argument. I can present my idea, but it doesn't make me a storyteller. I think, I think to, to an extent this, this, can be uh, learned in a way. Of course, th- th- there are s- some people who are naturally talented, so they somehow f- feel the rules of storytelling just sub- subconsciously, and they follow them without maybe even being able to to articulate what are the rules, what are the, what is the process that they they are following. But at the same time, if if someone doesn't feel like that, I think this can be this can be learned if you a learn about how other people do like you analyze what makes stories successful and then you practice that yourself you can start seeing like world with through through the stories and kind of deliver ideas through those stories of course maybe you would not be able to get to the heights when when someone is just gifted for for that for for whatever reason but i think you can become very and very very competent in can we use the language uh, grading like elementary pre-intermediate intermediate upper intermediate and advanced so there are five grades in my personal understanding you can get from elementary to 
intermediate for sure, upper intermediate at best, mm -hmm. and almost never advanced because it might take some natural talents to, to do that. All right. Does it sound fair to you? Or you would say that it's still technically, theoretically possible to get to the top level? Well, I guess um, looking at this from purely kind of mathematical, <laughs> mathematical point of view, if you can forgive me uh, doing that. So if, if we accept that there are people who are somehow gifted in, in this field, who are just like on the next level just naturally for whatever whatever reason and if we use if we put those people on the scale and and they are being the, the advanced group that the, like the, the very the very the very top top group then like following this logic it may be impossible for someone who is not naturally gifted to get into that group by just just learning because but by definition that that group is is in, in in the league of 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 its own so maybe that can make uh that 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 can make sense from from that point of view but then i would also say that from what's important is the practical side of it like how how many situations are there when the difference between advanced and upper intermediate would really show up Maybe the ninety-five percent of all situations are such that the upper intermediate will deliver all hundred percent of yeah, what's what required. Intermediate will deliver most of the things. Well, I agree. Yeah, yeah. But you know, while I was listening to you, I started thinking of the idea that sometimes it's not about the subject anymore. When you would like to get to this advanced or even uh, this next level that you named would be proficient. This is like mm. above advanced. That's for people oh, right. who are world experts on something. Okay. And uh, I, I'm still thinking about something achievable, but I remember that it's actually the metaphor or the analogy to the language. In order to become an advanced English speaker, you have to develop your thinking first. You have to start thinking with more right. complex constructions, learn analytics and learn some other things just to get this complexity, not just from the language, because it's not how many words, you know, it's how you think, it's how you shape your words and sentences and phrases, mm -hmm. what sort of structures right. you use. And this complexity doesn't come from language learning. It comes from other areas and fields. And I think maybe in storytelling, it's the same. It's not just practicing the storytelling itself, but it's getting deep into some sort of, I don't know, maybe psychology, maybe sociology, maybe history, maybe business. I, I don't really know. I think Peter uh, Guber is a good example here because mm -hmm. when he tells a story, these stories are really nice. And they are deep, meaningful, interesting, and relatable. And I'm not sure that he was always like that. I think that he practiced, but he practiced not just the storytelling, but also doing business, running successful projects, team management. And mm -hmm. now some of the best stories there were stories that he reflected on, he worked, he lived through. And I think that this is the answer for me. Thank you. That, that was very useful. No, I I think that I, I totally agree with that, and uh, I, I was going to to bring uh, up an example of let's say photography, right? When you, in in order to get to get better, you also have to start building on very diverse set of knowledge. Like you, at some point you would, if you want to get better, you would start looking at paintings by old painters and think about like what makes this painting stand out in comparison to some other paintings from that period and, and whatnot. You get into the color science and to maybe some physics to understand how light falls and how to position yourself. Like, I don't know, like, the heck, even astronomy, if you want to, like a particular composition with the moon or sun or something like that, you would need to know, like use the special apps to, that, that would show you the position of those uh, things on, on the sky and so on and so forth. And to, to, I guess a metaphor for that that, that I have in, in my mind would be that if, if you imagine you're being on a top, like your, your achievements or things that you can do being yourself at the top of a pyramid right the height of the pyramid determines like what what you can do the higher the pyramid the the more things you do them the more successful the more impactful you are but in order for that pyramid to go higher 
the the only way to, to 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 make it higher is to start building from foundation to the next level to the next level to the next level so such that the top of the pyramid can go up a little bit in the end but you have to to cover all of the all of the bases and this is where the diverse outlook is extremely helpful and even more so in the storytelling business i'm kind of excited that we end this episode here because our next one is going to be a very natural extension of this conversation it's going to be about learning and it's going to be a guest episode with we will not spoiler it so please listen to the next episode yeah tune in in two weeks for the next episode with a guest about learning and hopefully these two weeks are going to be good ones yep good weeks <laughs>